Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by this message from Pastor Charlotte Quist. And this is the whole concept of steadfastness. This is the whole concept of stability. Um, it is the idea that you, we are only as strong as that which we are hanging on to, right? We are only as steadfast as the one that we cling to. And so there's this thing that happens in life when everything's swirling around, we all hunt for that which is steadfast, that which is stable. I was thinking about, you know, dating apps and stuff like that, things where people introduce themselves, even job interviews when you're putting in your application. Nobody ever, like, they, they, they won't put on their, their, you know, what do you call it, profile, um, unstable, unreliable, it's iffy whether I'll show up or not, I'm moody, I'm touchy, you know, we don't, we don't put stuff like that out there, we might put, uh, Pastor Jordan reminded me, we, we might put spontaneous, ladies, that is code for unstable, run the other way, that does not mean anything good, spontaneous is on paper, not good, so we look for, we look for stability, we look for companies, nobody ever comes and tries to sell you like insurance or investment stuff where they go, you know, really, the odds are not great, but if you beat the odds, windfall, it's, it's a fresh upstart company. No, the, no, there's no history to it at all. I just, I, if you just commit your money to me, I can almost guarantee some measure of sort of success, possibly. No, there's no fixed address. You'll just send it to this email address. Who does that, right? You get the phone calls from those people that are scamming you, and, and you ask, okay, well, can I call you back? Oh, no, you can't call me back. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for stability. If I'm going to bank my life on something, I'm going to bank my time on something, I'm going to put my money, my investment, my, 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 my courage in anything, it's got to be something that is steadfast, something that has a track record, something that is stable. And so what God is calling us into in this hour is looking to him for that stability. And there have been so many places, so many things right now where we have been, uh, we've seen the shaking, we've seen the shifting, we've seen things fall away. But can you imagine in that movie scene, if Tom Cruise leaps for the rock, grabs the finger hold, and it breaks off in his hand? How lousy would that be, right? But most of us feel like that's been our life for the past year. Everything you thought you could grab onto broke off. Everything you thought you could hang onto fell apart. It shattered. It crumbled in your hands. The stuff that you thought was stable wasn't stable. The things that you thought could be counted on can't be counted on. I, I noticed this morning as soon as I turned my phone over, I have like the news apps that show up. It said that there's hope in Canada. Oh, good news. And then it talks about maybe possibly the way they're doing the vaccines in certain places. They might be able to get ahead of the variants and, and we might be able to possibly deal with this thing before the end of the year. That's not hope in Canada. That's like good news, I guess. But hope is something I can build my life on. That's the thing. I'm looking for something that is more stable than that. And I think what has happened is in the North American church over the past period of time, we have come through a season of great luxury. We've been blessed beyond belief. We have had more than enough. You know, we've become lovers of pleasure. We've become the people who need entertainment. We need, we need comforts in every possible way. We can't even imagine how some people live in other parts of the world that have severely less than us, who live on a month on what we live on on a day, you know, this kind of stuff. And so now, when, when, when a large percentage of the... the uh, population in North America has been professing believers and the earth has shaken, we found out what's really true. And we found out that there's a whole lot of believers going, God, where are you? Why do you hate me? Why have you forgotten me? Do you even exist? And God's like, okay, bringing you back to the place. You need to focus. You need to be steadfast. You need to be built on the right things. You need to be established on that which can last, that which is sustainable, that which is real. He's calling us back to the place where it's not about the niceties of life. It's about a core uh, thing on the inside of peace, of rest, of hope, of trust, a place where we're stable no matter what. Those kind of people, do you find that what you're looking for people like that right now? Like when you talk to somebody, you're like, how are you doing? Really good. Oh, nice. Want to come over for coffee? Like, oh, wait, you can't come over for coffee. You know, 
But we're drawn to that stability. We're drawn to somebody who seems to have it together. Why? We're made for it. We are meant to be built on the rock of Jesus Christ. We're actually made for stability. So if our foundation is on anything else, and it's been shaking lately, we feel weird on the inside. I'm speaking this to you from, like, I'm with, I'm with you. Wayne and I are with you in this. We're experiencing life. Everything's shaking. We find ourselves hunting for what does the word say about this? I'm going to choose to, to do what is right, not what I feel. I'm choosing to stand no matter what. I'm choosing to make the right confession no matter what. I'm choosing to stand in gratitude no matter what. I am choosing to be steadfast. It's a good word. It's a great word. I love this quote by uh, Todd Christofferson. It says, to persevere firm and steadfast in the faith of Christ requires that the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrate one's heart and soul. To persevere firm and steadfast in the faith of Christ requires that the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrate one's heart and soul, meaning it's not surface deep. Many of us actually, when the pressure is on, have found out that there's some things that we have said we believe about God that we actually don't know on the inside. We don't, it's not in there like it needs to be in there. It needs to be pressed in. It needs to penetrate the heart and soul. It's the thing that we, we meditate on, that we grind through, that we resolve, that we figure out. When, when we really learn something, we have it. Does anybody in the room remember grade 10 chemistry? Okay, three people, awesome. And if you're really close to grade 10, it doesn't count. <laughs> I remember clearly doing, you know, doing the class. I remember consciously writing the final exam, right, you know, and, and getting through the departmentals and everything, walking out the door going, thank God I'm never gonna have to think about that again. And that was probably the wrong attitude because I don't remember anything. But I can do basic math and I can, I can find a sale anywhere. And I can, I can figure out the savings faster than you can even read the price tag. I, I know a good deal when I see one and I think that's all that matters. So um, the point is the stuff that you grind out when, when you really have to work it out, the stuff that mattered, the stuff that you, you, know, you had to write a big paper on and you had to do the research, and you had to make sure that it was just right, that's stuff you'll remember forever. There's random things that you remember because you had to grind it out. There's other stuff that God gives us as a gift, and one of the things that happens in church world is that some people are like, why do we have to do all the singing all the time? I'm not a musical person. It drives me nuts. Could we just, you know, could we just get to the word? Other people are like, I would just want all worship. Could you stop talking? But I'm not talking to you right now. Um, so <laughs> Why worship? The main reason is because it brings us into the presence of God. It is the thing that gets us past our mind into our heart and we're, we're interacting with God on a very real level. It's the thing that no matter what, and we've talked about it before in this house, music takes you beyond what, what is currently around you and it just bypasses into your heart. It takes you places, it sets moods, it sets feelings, it, it awakens things on the inside of you. So that's part of it. And, and that's a place that God built in you for his presence. So you come into his presence, you enter his gates with thanksgiving, you enter his courts with praise, you come before him with singing. And there, there's a reason for that. The other tool is that God has put that in us so that it helps us learn. It helps us remember. And, and it's one of the things that in the past, what, prior to everybody being educated, everybody being literate, they would put theology to tunes. They would write songs so that people understood the concepts of the Bible, whether they could read them or have access to them or not. The principles of, in most hymn books, there is, there is deep theology in there. When you read it, it's like, wow, what does this even mean? Well, the people of the day knew what it meant. And when we dig into it, we can find out what it means too. The interesting thing is the song that these guys just sang was actually written in 1834. How many of you were blessed by it today? 1834. It was written at a time way beyond where, where we're experiencing right now, and yet it was written by this guy, Edward Moat, who was, he grew up in an un, unsaved family, no Christian understanding at all. Actually, in, in around London, he was born in 1797, so right at the turn of the century, and he, uh, he, he didn't know that there even was a God until he was 18 years old. 
Never heard about God. It was about survival. London at that time had grown. It had almost doubled in just a short period of time. And it was a cesspool. It was, they, they did not have the infrastructure in place. It was filthy. There was a few people that had tons of money and most people that had no money. There was slavery. There was prejudice. There was racial injustice. There was a hierarchy and there was classism. There was all kinds of brokenness and debauchery. There was people who died of, of freakish diseases and it was just spreading in, in different neighborhoods and areas without being controllable. Doesn't it sound sort of similar to now? And yet here comes this young man and he hears the truth of the gospel. And he decides at 18 years old to, to give his life to Christ. He's baptized at 18 and he committed himself to Jesus. He committed himself to be steadfast. And so he spent his life learning the things of God outside of his normal career. He was, he was raised to be a, a cabinet maker. His dad had set him up with a trade. And so he trained under a master cabinet maker and, and that was his career for most of his life. But every free minute he had, he was about the things of God. So he would minister wherever he could. Interesting, he didn't, it wasn't about the money or the title. It was about, I'm walking the truth that I love and believe and, and the serving the God that I know. And so when he was on his way to work one day, he wrote this song. He's on, on, on his way to work and he's thinking about what is it that we can put in the hearts of people? What do they need to know about God? So he decides to write this song and, and call it um, The Gracious Experiences of a Christian, which is not very catchy at all and didn't stick. But uh, so the, the, the title changed to On Christ the Solid Rock, which we know. Um, but he, he began to just sing this song in his heart, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. That was the whole thing as he, as he walked to work. He, it just went over in his heart. And by the end of the day, the verses started to build one on the other. And he began to write these things that, you know, here's what we need to know. Here's where the stability is. Nothing changed in his environment. Nothing changed in his circumstances. It was still a messed up society. There, there was no massive move of God. There, there was, you know, pockets where God was moving. But generally speaking, it was a broken society just like ours is. And yet he, he sang this song. He wrote this song, penned it. And it ended up like spreading all over the world. It was sung during the Civil War. Um, in uh, the States, it was, it was in the, it's in the Civil War hymn book, I believe. It's written all over the place. What I remember is being a little kid, I learned to read off the hymn book. I, did anybody not ever experience a hymn book? There might be a few people, it's all you ever experienced was a, the overhead, but we used to have books and you follow the words along. And I remember just being barely over the top of the pew in front of me, yes, the pew, the hard seats, y'all got cushy seats, so no complaining. But there, there'd be this, this pew and I propped the hymn book on it and I remember just singing so loud. On Christ the solid rock I stand. I didn't know what that meant. What do you need when you're seven? Like nothing. And yet I come into a week like maybe this past week or this past month or this past year and what comes out of my spirit? On Christ the solid rock I stand. It's in there. It's in there. It's the stuff that God needs us to get in there in this hour. Our children will remember something about this season. Are they going to remember our whining? Or are they going to remember our steadfastness? Are we going to teach them the principles of God? Are we going to found them on the right things? Are we going to put them on the rock? Are we going to show them what is true, what is real, what is necessary, what is worth fighting for, what's worth standing on? These principles, if they can stand the test of hundreds of years, it's because they're eternal principles. These words are actually pulled out of many of the writings of Paul. Many of the things that thousands of years before he had written. From where? Prison. For those of us that feel like everything should be comfortable in order for us to serve God, we have a wake-up call that has arrived. And the wake-up call is, will you be steadfast? There's something radically attractive about that. How does a move of God happen? Part of it is in the steadfastness of his people who know their God and they do great exploits. It is about people who actually walk out what they believe. How do we get there? It's in living this. 
So this story, this song story that he's written, it's the theology of the church. It's about how to get through hard times. It's about how to be anchored in the middle of the windy, nasty gunk of life that we will get through. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. How? On Christ the solid rock I stand. It's not just a theory, it's an actual application of the word of God, the principles of the kingdom to our life. So what he was, he was speaking there, this chorus part, the refrain, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Matthew 7, 24 to 27 is where Jesus actually spoke these words, and it's the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 to 7 is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching, this is how the things of God are. This is how things operate. This is how I think. This is what you need to do. This is how you can live successfully in me. And when you read it through, you're like, nah, they don't deserve me to forgive them. They don't deserve me to, I don't want to, no, read it. And he'll get to seven verse 24. And he says this, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Just picture that climb up the mountain and standing on top, building it on the rock. Building is the climbing part. That's the hard part. But we get there. We are fashioned on him. I would liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. I think it's very interesting that the stuff that's in here, there's actually a lot of kids songs that go along with this passage and it talks about building your house on the rock versus building your house on the sand. What I don't recall hearing a ton of is how. And Jesus is really specific about this. He's, he's definitely dividing two camps. And he says, he says that when the winds came, uh, yeah, the, the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. Then in verse 26, talks about the one who does not do this, the one who's built upon the sand, uh, and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house. It says that basically whether the house is built upon the rock or it's built upon the sand, the winds, winds will blow, the rains will fall, the storm will beat upon the house. There's really no third option. It's happening. It's going to happen. It's interesting because Matthew 5, uh, 45 says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. When? Not if. I believe in Canada, in Alberta, in the prosperous province of the nation, we are shocked that the winds are blowing. We're horrified that the rains are falling. We're terrified that the floods are rising. We don't know what to do that the storm is beating against. What is that? We have gotten soft over time and we have forgotten what we're actually built upon, what we should be built upon. This province was always known as the Bible Belt of this nation. It, it was not strong because of oil or because of lumber, or because of coal. It was strong because we were built on the foundations of Jesus Christ. Because there were scriptures spoken and proclaimed and declared over this province and over this nation. And somewhere along the way, in our luxury, in our comforts, in our safety, we learned to be soft and we walked away from the one who, like Pastor George said this morning, the one who gave us the power to obtain wealth. We've been focused on the wealth and we missed it. And right now, I 100% believe that God desires for us to prosper and be in health. But as our soul prospers, how's your soul? Is it steadfast? I actually believe the more the winds blow and the more the rains fall and the more the floods rise and the more the storm is happening, the more it is calling God's people to their knees and to their faces to get right with God. We need to make sure that we are built on the right thing at the right time in the right way. God's calling us back to our roots. He's calling us back to the core of this. It's interesting because when Jesus gives this scripture and, and he speaks and he says again, going back to Matthew 7, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, 
I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And verse 26, he says, but everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. There are two types of builders, right? One is built upon the rock. One is built upon the sand. Both heard him. It's not talking about believers and non-believers. It's talking about how we act with what it is he's given us. A, there is those who hear and do. B, there is those who hear and do not do. And those two things, those are the two houses. Am I built on the rock or am I built on the sand? Am I built on a firm foundation or am I not? What does it mean? What is this? It doesn't mean that I just believe that Jesus is. It doesn't mean that I just believe that he died on the cross for my sin, which all of that is foundational for sure. But what do I do with the life that he's given me from there? It, this is not talking about what happens in eternity. It talks about how stable am I in this life? While I am here on this earth, how I experience life is based on whether I hear and do or hear and don't do. Whether I actually live the word of God, whether I actually apply it, whether I actually believe it and walk it out, whether I'm looking for a fast ticket to heaven or whether I actually want to give up my life and pick up his. This is what it's telling us. Jesus says, if you want to be built on the rock, if you want your life to be founded on the rock, it is about hearing and doing. Hearing and doing what? These words that I say. I'm not talking about salvation. Have you ever noticed that there are people who have given their lives to Christ and then it's like they're like a kite on a string and blowing around like crazy and you can't count on them for nothing? It means that they never grew up. They never actually built their life on anything. They're just, they're converts, but not disciples. And God's calling us into this place of being disciples, built upon the rock. That when the rains come and when the winds blow, when the floods rise, when the storms come, how are you doing? Steadfast. Why? Built on the rock. He doesn't move. God never fails me. I completely trust him. My hope's in him. No, I don't know what's going to happen with my work. I don't know what's going to happen with my health. I don't know what's going to happen with my future. No, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to travel ever again. I'm steadfast. Isn't that a great place to be? Doesn't it just feel solid? You know, it's, it's not about the, the emotions of it. It's the things that, like, you know, some people will say, well, I, I don't always feel God. Do you always feel married? Doesn't change the fact that you are, right? There's some things that you do and don't do based on the reality of your life situation. There are some things that we do and don't do based on the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And whether I feel it or not is irrelevant. I walk by faith and not by sight. This is what he's calling us to steadfast. It's a good word. So let's look through the verses of this hymn because this is a good playbook for us. If we want to know how do I get built on the rock? How do I make sure I'm stable? How am I making sure that I am, you know, on Christ the solid rock? Well, there's some key things. There's some core stuff. Verse one, he writes, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. What is this about? Expectation. Where is my expectation? Who's it on? What's it about? Who and what am I expecting to change my life? Because he's saying in the middle of his broken life back in the 1800s, and I'm saying right here in 2021, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. That's a, you know, an old school phrase. That's a kind of King Jamesy kind of phrase. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. It just means no matter how good it looks or how great it sounds, I can only count on Jesus. If I'm not expecting people I'm not expecting institutions. I'm not expecting agencies to come up with the solutions. I'm not disappointed. I can love well. I can serve well. I can live well. I don't walk in that loss of hope. Do you know loss of hope is the number one indicator of a burnout? 
If it feels like your brain is about to snap out of your head, it is possible that you've lost hope. And if you've lost hope, it's possible that it was anchored in something other than what it should have been. I'm I'm walking this myself. I literally, I'm I'm reading letters that come to pastors. There's an article that just came out this week and it was talking about the, the great collapse of pastors in this time because none of our training books are applicable right now. None of the standards of leadership work right now. We're having to do it completely by faith. And the question it asked is, what are you using to self-pacify? It didn't ask, are you using something to self-pacify? It it means that the, the majority of even Christian leaders right now are needing to find their anchor, are needing to choose to be steadfast, are needing to be built on the rock. And so this expectation, it's, it's partnered up between hope and trust. Hope is the earnest expectation of good and trust. Old Testament, it has a specific word. It means to be confident in, to be sure. Trust and hope are interchangeable in the New Testament. And again, it means the earnest expectation of good. So what is my hope founded on? What, what, what can I put my anchor on? My hope, which I need to have, because if I'm going to keep going in any given day, if I'm going to get out of bed in the morning, I have to have hope. There has to be something that I'm anchoring into. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So Jesus said that if you want to be built on the rock, you need to hear and do. But what if I don't do it right all the time? Here's my hope. My hope is it's not actually based on what I do. Jesus is telling me that there is a, there is a place that I need to, you know, practice what it is he teaches. I need to live out of what he, is, he instructs. But there is a place of security found in him that ultimately my hope is based on the fact that I don't get it right enough to get to God. He did it for me. It's built on his righteousness. It's based on what he has done. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That means steadfast. For he who promised is faithful. Not the promise is faithful. Not the promise is believable. He who promised. It means that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. What he's done who he is, what he paid for. It means that I go right back to if I have nothing else, but I got a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is more than enough. It's everything I need. I can be content with little or much. Like the apostle Paul said, I have learned to be content. How? Because he's enough. He's enough. So I anchor my hope on that and my trust My trust, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I'm choosing to trust him. Psalm 62, 1 to 2 says, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation, for he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, and I shall not be greatly moved. Isn't that good? Truly my soul silently waits for God. My salvation comes from him. What do you mean? You're not waiting for some massive medical breakthrough. You're not waiting to win the lottery. You're not waiting for everybody to wake up one day and go, this was a bad idea. We're going back to normal. You're not waiting for anything but him. Oh, is that only me that wishes that? I'm actually in somebody else's bad nightmare and it's all gonna end one day. No, my, my answer is in him. My hope is found in him. I'm anchored in him. Verse two, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense and I shall not be greatly moved or I shall be steadfast, steadfast. What's my anchor on? Verse two is so good. It says, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. I love this verse because it, you know, it's, it's very poetic. You know, I think Pam saying this verse is so nice. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. What does that actually mean? When the world is falling apart and I'm scared to 
can't see or feel anything and I don't even know if God's there anymore. I rest on his unchanging grace. See, the reality is there are storms. There is stuff. We don't always feel it. We don't always know what to do. There's sometimes that swirl. It's like a fog. It's like a blizzard. It's like a, you know, that pouring rain when you, you're driving and you can't really see. And it says here, I rest on his unchanging grace, meaning even when everything else is changing, he doesn't. It's, it, there's got to be a constant. We all need a constant. We love a constant. When I'm driving in the middle of a storm and it's, it's blizzarding everywhere and I, A, no, I probably should have stayed home that day. That would have been a good move, but I, I'm out there. When it's, it's pouring rain and it's coming down and I can't see, you know, the windshield wipers are going max and you can't see a thing. When there's fog and you crank your lights in all the different ways and you go, I thought we had fog lights. So yeah, they're on. I can't see a thing. And you still drive. What do you do? There comes a moment when you pause and you go, okay, well, I've driven this road a thousand times before. I know where the signposts are. I'll know them when I see them. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to stay calm. We're going to get through this. But you never think, I wonder if the road's still there. <laughs> is it possible that the road is gone because I can't see the road? No, you, you gauge your... Does anybody do that? I just want to inform you that probably the road is still there but um the road is like christ right it's like there, there's things where we have to decide to calm ourselves we have to decide i'm going to look for the right road signs we decide that i've been down this road before it's okay and you trust the road you trust the road you trust that it's a safe road you you, you there's certain things that are unchangeable this is what this is saying. It's saying that there comes times in life where everything seems clouded, where you don't feel what you want to feel. You're not experiencing what you want to experience, but you rest in his unchanging grace. I love how that, that, again, that moment in the movie where Tom Cruise is hanging there and you see him just calm himself. Some of us just need to calm ourselves right now. Where's the steadfast gonna come, steadfastness going to come from? Stop freaking out. Stop, stop telling everybody that you're freaking out. Stop just looking for a way to pacifate, the, passive, passive, fly, thank you. I'm making up new words again. <laughs> Pacify the fact that you're freaking out and instead pause and rest on his unchanging grace. He's God, always the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not fail. He cannot lie. He does not change. And so I can rest in that place. Matt Chandler says this, and I love it. The greater your knowledge of the goodness and grace of God on your life, the more likely you are to praise him in the storm. So you don't just pray away the storm. You dig into a greater knowledge of the goodness and grace of God on your life. What do you study? What do you read? How do you pursue? How do you pray? God, show me your goodness. Show me your grace. Remind me of who you are. Teach me according to your word, your goodness, your grace upon my life. Show me what's available to me. Instead of just trying with everything you've got to get out of the storm, the benefits of digging this out are steadfastness. Having done all to stand Standing, therefore, locking into that place, resting on his unchanging grace. I love what King David wrote in Psalm 139, verse 7 to 10. He says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. King David did not have an easy life. He had a lot of ups and downs. He had a lot of things that he had to work out. There was a lot of things he had to endure. And yet he had this revelation. I can't go anywhere that you're not there. Your love reaches me. Your heart reaches me. You're, you're, you're always there. New Testament, the Apostle Paul had the same revelation. Romans 8, 37 to 39, he said, Yet in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The all these things prior to that, not so fun. 
for I am persuaded. How does one become persuaded? You don't know what you know until it's been tested. You don't know what you know until it's been tried, until you've had to dig it out, until you've studied, until you've meditated and marinated. When we're living the good life, we actually aren't that hungry to find out what's really there. We, we, don't, we don't necessarily need it. But in these moments of pressure, the things that we talked about last week, that God is working out in us this patience and character so that we can walk in that hope. It's this. He says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing. Nothing but the devil. Nothing but demons, nothing but politicians, nothing. Poverty, sick, nothing, nothing. You don't know my life situation. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know my marriage. You don't know my family. You don't know my work environment. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why does that matter? Because it's everything. The rest of it is just bonus. If things go well for a season, we rejoice. If things are hard, we rejoice. In all things, give thanks. Not for all things, but in all things. How do we do that? Steadfast. How do we become steadfast? We are anchored in this kind of revelation, this kind of love, this kind of understanding that God is there no matter what. I don't feel him. I don't care. It's great when we do feel him, but we grow when we don't. I hate that phrase. I know somebody's going to preach that back to me sometime. And, and by somebody, I mean my husband who's on sound this morning who says, I heard a preacher say recently. <laughs> yeah, it happens. <laughs> This is the truth, though. We have mountaintops and we have valleys. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with me. The mountaintops are what the places we get to live in the goodness. We get to see how far we've come. We get to look back and we see the, the journey. We get to experience the heights. But you can't be fruitful up there. Not much grows up on the mountaintop. The best stuff comes out of the valley. And the valley is not the place where it always feels the best. But when we determine to be steadfast, when we stop kicking against the goads, when we stop pushing for a place of comfort and we learn to live in that spot, growth, development, strength, this is where the good stuff is. Hebrews 6, 19 to 20 says, we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us the anchor is steadfast therefore i can be steadfast if i'm actually anchored to him if i'm waiting for a rescue package it's very hard to remain steadfast but when i am anchored onto that steadfast anchor which is in the very presence of god it builds stability in me what does this mean in natural terms? It means that God has already paid the price, that Jesus has already uh, arisen, that he's in the heavenly realm, that he's before the Father on our behalf, that he's making intercession for us. He has gone beyond the veil, meaning that place of separation between man and God. He's made room for us, and it's the anchor that we hang on to, that very place of his presence. How do we engage it? Through worship through prayer, through pursuing his presence. When, when I get letters saying, what are you doing, you know, to pastors, what are you doing to self-pacify? If the answer is anything but finding myself in him, it's wrong. Now, unfortunately, we're all human, and so we all have stuff, but it's a good reminder. What am I anchoring myself on? What am I pulling on? I need to be in his presence all the time. I need to be running into that space where I'm anchored, where he is steadfast for me. Verse 3 of the song says, his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. 
literally the original version of this song, or at least the Pentecostal version. Let me put it that way. It was like, I don't know what, what the timing would be, but it was like, his oath is covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Nothing wrong with that except for, man, that happy polka beat totally hides the fact that when all around my soul gives way. What? Man, that needs to be like blues, jazz, kind of when all around my soul gives Man, it's, it's talking about when, when everything falls apart, literally when all around my soul gives way. That's not happy words. But it's saying his oath, his covenant, his blood. It's from the same passage in Hebrews 6, if we read a little bit further up, which we're not going to take time on today. But it's talking about how God gave his covenant oath to Abraham and how we're grafted in and how God couldn't even find somebody higher than himself to, to swear by. Like when we say, I swear on, you know, swear on the Bible, we swear on God, we swear on whatever. We're not supposed to do that. It, it, it's, God had not, there was nobody higher than himself to swear by. He is the one above it all. His covenant, he cannot lie. He cannot break his word. When everything else falls apart, nobody keeps their word. The, 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 the goalposts keep moving, anybody? When stuff keeps shifting and changing, he does not change. Isn't that good? What, what should believers look like in this hour? Steadfast. Steadfast. Happy, perky, perfect? No, but steadfast. There are times, you know, that the, the word, um, when it talks about having done all to stand, stand therefore, and it, it talks about that when we, when we stand, that God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. The words that are used in that, the standing in the shoes, the peace, all of that. It's a Roman word for marching. And it literally is talking about these uh, spikes on the bottom of their shoes. That these, these warriors were going to battle. And they would dig them in and just stand. Anchored. No matter what came, it, they would just stand. I'm sure their faces look like steadfast. So sometimes steadfast isn't like, oh, yes, I'm steadfast. Like, it's, sometimes it's like, I'm steadfast. It's solid. It's determined. It's at rest knowing that at the end of this thing, I will still be standing. I will still be standing because that which I'm standing upon will not move. See, that's life-giving stuff, right? The final verse, uh, verse 4 says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, Pastor Les just preached on this one. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. It means that when the end of time comes and I meet Christ, may I not be wrapped up in my own self-gratification, what I have earned, what I have done, what I have provided, my own good works, I've been a good person, I've done the right things. It's I'm dependent on him completely. It's his righteousness. It's his blood. I have, I have laid down my life to pick up his. And everything I do, I'm doing for him. I'm living in him. It's about him. It's the focus. It's not about, you know, just the stuff of life, the pleasures of life, it's great when we have those, but we can be fully content knowing that when we come and stand before Christ, we're dressed in his righteousness alone. I love what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 8 to 10. He says, yes, indeed, I have counted all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. I know the last few weeks I'm picking out all of your least favorite verses, but seriously, there's a lot of them. There's very few that say, I'm so grateful for God and the palm tree and the moment on the beach that I have sat and contemplated all the good things of life and the sweet butterflies that dance overhead. 
Now, the, the things of meat and grit, the, the things of, of experiencing God, they, they put the earthly stuff just into this other category. Stuff comes, stuff goes. Sometimes we have lots, sometimes we have little. Sometimes there's comfort, sometimes there's not so much. But always there is Jesus. That's worth it. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. I get to live this life, and if it's not as comfortable as I think I want it to be, I'm changing my wants because my want needs to be him. What keeps the underground churches across the world going? What, what happened in Syria where they burnt down Christians' houses, took all of their belongings, and, and threw them into exile? Recently, what, what's happening in, in Pakistan right now where Christians are being silenced permanently, where there's persecution? How do people, why are these places seeing revival? Because they know it's not about the stuff. Because when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. See, that's the anchor for steadfastness. Those who hear these words of mine and do them shall be built upon the rock. Those who hear these words of mine and do not do them are like a man who is built upon the sand and the winds come and the rains come and the storm blows and the destruction is great. That verse tells us that being a lukewarm Christian is dangerous. Seriously dangerous. The destruction can be great. But the one who is built upon the rock, when the storm passes, that house stands. That house is known as a house that stands. You want the people in your life to know about who God really is? Be steadfast. You want your coworkers, your children, your extended family and friends to know who Jesus really is? Live steadfast because when the storm comes and when it shakes and when things move and everything falls apart, the house that is standing is the house that gets the attention. It's the place that people go for safety and for comfort and for resources. You will be ready to be the resource house if you're a house that stands. And so God is calling us, I believe, in this hour more and more and more to walk into this place where we're not looking at the stuff of life, where we choose our mindsets, where we're choosing to be built on him. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thank you, God. I'm going to have the worship team come. So your new answer, how are you doing today? Steadfast. How's work? Steadfast. How's your family? How's your faith? Absolutely. Would you stand with me this morning? Ha. And I want you to plant your feet. If you're watching at home, please stand, plant your feet. I want you to get the visual on this. I want you to feel how it feels. Some of us have been sitting in the fetal position at home. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up. I'm just saying. Steadfast means to stand upright. That's the first definition, to stand upright to be established, to be firm, to be fitted, to be loyal.
Do you feel the strength in that moment? Lord, I pray over this assembly today, those that are gathered in person, those that are gathered online, those that will hear this later. Lord, we ask for a renewed grace to stand steadfastly in you, immovable. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Lord, built on the rock of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are a firm foundation. We thank you that no matter what else is spinning, swirling, no matter when all around my soul gives way, when darkness seems to hide your face, God, these poetic words that actually hold an ache on the inside of us, we've all experienced it on some level. Lord, the places where we have, we have allowed our trust and our hope to be built on things that aren't you, we ask your forgiveness this morning. The places where we've drifted and we've whined and complained when, Lord, you're trying to use this moment to establish us. God, I thank you that you bring us to a place of maturity in you. That, Lord, when you say that those who hear your word and do it are the ones who are built on the rock, I thank you that each one of us have a word from you. Each one of us, Lord, no matter how hard the circumstances have been, we know that whisper of the Holy Spirit. We know what you're telling us to do. And Lord, today we determine to not just hear it, but to hear it and do it. I thank you, Lord, that you bring correction today. You bring realignment. You bring courage. You bring strength, God. You bring stability. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what the storm may hold, you hold us. And so we rest in your unchanging grace. We rest in your love. We rest in your goodness. We choose to be steadfast. Lord, may that word ring in our hearts and our minds where we feel like we're flopping about, when we feel like we can't take it anymore, we remain steadfast, immovable, because you are leading us in victory. So Lord, today we just commit ourselves into your care, into your hands, and we thank you that you lead us in triumph. According to your word, I thank you, Lord, that it's not about what we can do or how we can perform, but it's your righteousness alone. It's because of who you are. It's because he who promised is faithful. So Lord, we re-anchor ourselves on you, the steadfast one. And we thank you, Lord, for that stability today and as we go through this week, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.